thank goodness you're here. I heard a loud noise and I thought someone was breaking in. I uh, don't worry, Jeanette. I'll take a look around. I'll make sure everything's secure. Aha, I found your problem. It's your smoke detectors. They need batteries. It's definitely not your burglar alarm. Oh, silly me. I guess I got a little too alarmed. Thank you, officer. I'm glad I could help, but you need to make sure you get some batteries immediately and take care of that before it becomes a bigger problem. Abby, it sounds like you're having a little bit of trouble with your car battery. Yes, officer, it's dead. I think I need a new one. Ah, I see the problem. <laughs> Nothing's wrong with your battery. It just turns out that you're actually out of gas. Oh no, how did I not realize that? Thank you for saving me the expense of a new battery, officer. Well, I'm glad to find out that you're only out of gas and don't need a new battery. Looks like there's a gas station right around the corner. Let's see if they'll accommodate you so you can get on your way. Ah, good morning, ma'am. Hey, Mario, how's it going? I'll take my usual cup of coffee. Officer, it's on me today. Let me buy you a cup as a token of appreciation for keeping us safe. Well, thank you, ma'am. That's very nice of you. I appreciate it. I'll kindly accept your offer. You know, Captain, it's getting colder out here, and the holidays are quickly approaching us. Hmm. Yeah, it's that time of year, my friend. You know the time we start responding to weird calls. True, true. I almost forgot, Captain Chaos. You're absolutely right. Cuffing season is now upon us. You guys be safe out there. That's coming from me, Sergeant B. Safe. And that's your tip of the day to get you on your way. Black and Blue, the podcast that's just for you. We bring solutions to everyday problems. We are here to humanize the badge. By interviewing first responders and discussing their trainings, experiences, and publications. Black and Blue airs weekly at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Tune in.
start the show. And ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are live. Another episode of Black and Blue. We're bringing in November with another barn burner. I'm glad you guys are here. I'm your host. I'm Coach Clee. I'm your motivational speaker, your empowerment coach, your author, and your favorite baker's favorite baker. I'm here to entertain you and to go ahead and bring some vital information here to this platform. This is Black and Blue. Like I said, we air at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time weekly. And what we do, we interview any a first responder or a law enforcement officer who's either a rookie, seasoned, or retiree. And when we interview them, we talk about many topics, mainly about their experiences, their trainings, and their publications. And this one is going to be a great one. Some of you already know who the guests are. Others of you do not. But make sure that you guys tune in. Hit that like button because that like button is free. Make sure you tag, like, and share because we're trying to get that algorithm and get this information out there. Because the information that we have, we're trying to show, we're trying to humanize the badge, and we're trying to show different sides of law enforcement. Whether you're thinking about getting in law enforcement, this is your platform. Whether you're already in law enforcement and you're trying to see other trainings or experiences, this is your platform. If you're already retired and looking for life after the badge or just to see what things have changed or what experiences people have, this is your platform. Again, we have a lot of fun doing this. We go weekly. November is going to be a tremendous month, and we're setting it off right now. Uh, this is... Let me get the, the headline up here. I'm sorry. This platform is sponsored by One Way Publishing. One Way Publishing is the book publishing company that sponsors uh, Start and Be Safe, the cartoon that you saw at the beginning, and you'll see various cartoons throughout the course of this interview. And also, it's a book publishing company. I wrote five books using that platform, and they also have other clients who had their dreams come true. Their motto is they could turn a mere thought into a book that's bought. So if you ever, uh, if you ever wanted to write a fiction, nonfiction, uh, children's book, cookbook, autobiography, whatever it may be, that's the platform you want to use. It's also in the comment section, so make sure you check out workwithclee.com and scrolling below. That's how you want to do that. If you're looking to be a voiceover for Start and Be Safe, that's how you want to do get into that. Or if you're looking to be a guest on the show here, workwithclee.com is a platform that you want to use. All right? Again, get those likes up because we're going to have fun. This is an interactive live platform where we're streaming on five different platforms. We're on two on YouTube. We're on two on Facebook and one on LinkedIn. So I say that to say, I can't see who's in here. If you want a shout out, you put your name and where you're from in the comment section and we'll get that shout out to you. If you have a question or a comment, make sure you put that in the comment section as well and we'll get that information out there to you, okay? Make sure we we do all that and we got all that out there. Uh, Perfect, perfect. We getting things straight. We got a special guest. Um, Many of you have seen the clips that I've been showing all, all week long. Uh, he's produced a couple documentaries. He's uh, also been a retiree from law enforcement. I don't want to give his title away yet. He's got a bunch of uh, documentaries, and here are the uh, trailers for them. So make sure you guys tune in, and we're going to jump right into the interview right after this. Every defensive tactics and self-defense technique taught to law enforcement officers is derived from the martial arts. Defensive tactics, like every other tactic, including firearms, is a perishable skill that has to be trained. Police officers don't train and stay proficient in defensive tactics. You're joining a profession where your job is control other human beings. It would make sense if you're good at it. Okay. This is a fight. You gotta do this two to three times a week, year rounds, continuously, to make sure that when you're in that high pressure situation, 
that those are the techniques that come out. When you train in martial arts, it allows you the opportunity to experience those things. And it's not the first time is when you're out there on the street when Lucifer has decided he's not going back to jail that day. The bad guy controls the fight. The bad guy controls the location. The bad guy controls the level of violence. And the bad guy controls the length of the fight. Agencies often treat training as almost like a vaccine, right? They, one shot in the arm and you're done. That we care enough about our officers that we're going to devote time and money and effort into training so that our people come home every night. It's a weekly, daily, even monthly challenge of, of what we're going to juggle, how to, how to get the bills paid, uh, how, how to even uh, put food on the table. We have three boys. Craig was injured in a shooting. He didn't die that day, and you couldn't see his injuries but he died from those injuries. So my motto since the beginning is not one more, but no one should die from PTSD. What good is it to teach us how to survive on these streets and until we get home and everything falls to crap and we don't know what's happening to us and we don't know what to do about it. Our families are falling, our families are struggling, my kids are crying, because nobody told me that I'm supposed to be still fighting here. There are times when, for no reason, I'll just start crying. Um, or I'll get into a rage. For no reason. Um, there are times when I wake up at night screaming, and I can smell gunpowder, I can smell blood. I felt like as long as I could come back to work, I was useful to the department. I, th they could use me. The minute I couldn't, even though it was work-related, throw them away. They've given everything they can up to the edge of their life and what they do have left of a life is compromised because of what they've given. This is taking place all over America. This is a national tragedy. This is something that is that is not known within the American public. It is not even known oftentimes within law enforcement circles itself. Well guess what? I am you and I have post-traumatic stress disorder. Some detectives may never see a case like this. It was the most incredible thing I'd ever experienced. I've never seen a case like this before, and I'm sure I'll never see a case like this again in my career. The fact of the matter is, most property crime offenders, most burglars are serious criminals. The impact that they were making in the community in a negative way uh, put them in what we like to refer to as the upper 10 percentile of uh, criminals, the ones that just were not going to stop. I had never seen such a prolific burglar. He affected hundreds of people's lives over his career, if not more. When they're confronted, you know, the, the whole object is, is to get away. And if that means 
shooting it out with the police, shooting it out with the neighbor, shooting it out with whoever, the security officer, then that's what they're going to do. If you take an individual that is a multiple convicted felon and you back him in a corner where he thinks if I get caught, I'm gonna spend the rest of my life in prison, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that that person will do whatever they have to do to get out of that situation. So this guy did it to get a high. He did it because it was his lifestyle. He's a pirate. And there we have it. Of the many documentaries, those are the three that I saw, and they're tremendous. They're moving, they're powerful, uh, and we're going to discuss them and many things and many other things that he's on here talking about. Uh, got to give a couple shout-outs. Got Gary Flaith on here. Talk that talk, absolutely. Got Shayla's on here. Thank you for tuning in. Happy Wednesday. Good evening, Seti P. Good evening. Thank you guys for tuning in. Make sure you get guys tag, like, and share. And we're going to jump right into it because right now I got back behind stage the retired Las Vegas uh, Metro Police Department Sergeant Jason Harney. He's uh, a producer, director, editor, writer, Lightning Digital Entertainment. That's what you see. That's what you see flashing below, and that's what you see in the comments section. He's done documentaries on The Basketball Family, 2017, The Wounded Blue, 2019, The Repeat Offender, also 2019, The Making of a Cheer Team, 2021, Wrist Lock, 2022, is there something going on at home? That's 2023. And a six-part docuseries of Voices of the Blue, which is in 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I can go on and on, but I'm excited to bring him to the stage so we can start this interview. Jason, are you there? I sure am. That was quite the intro, Clee. Thank you for that. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for making yourself available to come here on the show. I'm excited to have you. Uh, first, I'm going to start off with the easy question and the question that kind of solidifies how you got here and what got you into the, into the profession. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what gave you the burning desire to become uh, in the law enforcement? Well, as far as the uh, desire to go into law enforcement, that's obviously going to be completely influenced by my father. He's a retired uh, state trooper here in Nevada, uh, okay. did, did 32 years. And, um, I think it's your classic following in the footsteps. Uh, aside from my dad, both of his brothers were both troopers with the Nevada Highway Patrol as well. So I guess you could say I come from a law enforcement family. Gotcha. Gotcha. And tell us a little bit about yourself. Any experiences that you want to share with us uh, before we, we jump into the meat and potatoes? Well, you know, I think one of the main reasons that I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you today, aside from the law enforcement career, of course, is just a, a love of film. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm just that person that since a very young age, uh, was always really interested in how movies were made. Uh, certainly had my, you know, heroes from the 70s and 80s, all, all film directors. 
And I'll tell you, you know, um, one of the best pieces of advice that I had ever read was from uh, Avatar Terminator and Aliens director James Cameron. And he said, if you want to make a movie, grab a camera, point it at something and make your movie. Don't Mm. let uh, obstacles get in the way. Don't let your passion for film stop you. Because as we know, movies are very expensive to make. Uh, in modern times. But the fact of the matter is there are some very successful films out there that people make with uh, the camera on their phone. So I took that encouragement at a very young age. And and again, that's a big reason why I'm uh, sitting here talking with you today and and have been fortunate to have the opportunity to make some of these films. Gotcha. Gotcha. And in your career in law enforcement, did you have the opportunity to actually uh do something that correlated into filmmaking or making documentaries or i know interview interview and interrogation that goes hand in hand and i know that that's probably something that helped out tremendously but is there something that correlated yeah there sure was uh again this is where you know I, i i love to come on here and thank a lot of the people that i you know ran into during my path during my career that that were willing to help uh, one of the assignments that I had during my career was uh, on the academy staff, and that was in the late 1990s. And uh, during that time, our video production unit ha- happened to work in the same building. So after making friends okay. with uh, the two people that worked in that uh, in that that office, um, I began to spend a lot of my off time, some of the weekends, just basically being their gopher, you know, and, and whatever you need me to do, whatever you need me to carry. But they taught me you know, the ins and outs of how to work a camera properly, uh, for, you know, from the professional level, uh, how to edit, how mm-hmm. to light cinematography and, and everything that I use today. So yeah, I had the mm-hmm. opportunity while I was working to do uh, a lot of video production work. Gotcha, gotcha. And doing this now that you're retired, I know there's a lot of retirees that either are on here now or watch uh, the replay afterwards. And one of the biggest questions I always get on the platform is what's like life after retirement? I mean, it, everyone tries to get to that, that 25, 30 year mark, 20, 25, 30, whichever your department has, try to get to that mark. And then it's kind of like, what do I do next? Because I've identified as being law enforcement or first responder my entire life. I don't know what else is next. That is a great question, Clee. And it, it just so happens that uh, the film that you you, you spoke about, uh, Is There Something Going On at Home, that we're going to be releasing mm. uh, at the end of this year, uh, uh-huh. covers that topic. Um, I'm going to presume that most police officers, when they, they broach this subject, one of the things that you're always going to hear is, well, I can't wait to retire because I'm going to golf, I'm going to fish, I'm going to hunt, and I'm going to do all these uh-huh. hobby type things. And they do that, but then they realize that lasts about six months. And I talk to so yeah. many guys that, that I you know, used to work with who tell me all the time that they've lost their sense of purpose. They don't have goals anymore and they don't know what's next. So I think one of the, the biggest things that I would always give as advice to people is before you pull the plug, know what's next, know exactly what you're gonna be doing. Don't think you're gonna yeah. figure that out later. Because from the experience of talking with a lot of different people around this country on that very topic, uh, what I have certainly seen and found is that it never works out the way you think it's going to. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Good point. Good perspective. This is coming from, ladies and gentlemen, coming from a guy who's doing it. You, you've found your second calling. You've done, you're doing something you love to do. 
and you're doing something that's important because you're getting a message out there that not all of us know about. I know we were talking back back camp behind backstage. I'm sorry about certain issues and certain things on your documentaries that maybe some the police we we do know, uh, the public may know, and then other th topics that we we just kind of take for granted. Can we dive into a little bit? What you the the documentaries that you have now? You bring a lot of great information to the forefront. Can you explain? how and why you feel it's important to do that? Well, you know, I, I, I think that when, when you're going to bring that information forward, there's a couple things you have to understand. And, and this was one of the things you and I talked about previously. When, when you are getting your news, specifically news about police departments, police agencies, and the incidents that they are involved in on a daily basis, you are going mm -hmm. to get it from a certain flavor of news, right? Now, whether you're on that Fox News side, the CNN side, somewhere in between, or somewhere even further to the left or right, you're gonna get some mm -hmm. version based off the narrative that that individual network is currently pushing. So mm -hmm. in my mind, you get guys, uh, you know, like yourself, like me and others who are involved in this space where we're creating, whether it be podcasts or films or you're a national speaker like Scott Medlin and you're going out and, and, and pushing this message to people that need to hear it. What you're getting is the information in its rawest form from people yes. who experienced it and who are experiencing it. And that's what's really important. We are bringing forth the information that you're talking about with no filter. We're bringing forth the information coming directly from the source in a way the mainstream media will never do because right. we're not concerned with clicks, all right? They are. They're trying mm -hmm. to put something out there that is salacious and, and is gonna mm -hmm. sell. That's not what we're doing here. We want people to know exactly how it is. Exactly. And Scott Medlin said on the last topic, well said, have a plan former guest on the show. Uh, thank you for tuning in. We appreciate that. Uh, the first documentary that I watched after we met, shout out to Ernie Stevens too for making this connection because without making a connection with him, I wouldn't be sitting here with Jason right now. So thank you for that. And then as soon as I made the connection, I started jumping into the uh, what I, the documentaries I could find. Very first one I watched was Wrist Lock. And I know you said that happened at a very pivotal pivotal time um because it was directly after covid uh traveling still was kind of hands off and you had the biggest cast the biggest ensemble and you provided a, a bunch of great information can you share a little bit about that with us sure well it all started basically back in the early 1990s when i uh came out of field training i went to mm -hmm. our southwest area command here uh work graveyard and was partnered up with a guy named john gentile and we have been friends for the last 30 years. But uh, the one thing that about John that a lot of people know is he is a true master martial artist, probably one of the most accomplished, skilled and proficient martial artists that mm -hmm. I have ever known and have the uh, honor to train with over a long, a long period of time. And now you fast forward to after our careers, we're both retired. It's around uh, early 2021. And I'm, you know, coming off the Wounded Blue and Repeat Offender at S Films, and mm -hmm. I'm looking for the next project. And because I spent a lot of time uh, during my career uh, on the Academy staff and, and as a defensive tactics instructor for over 20 years, one of my passions was use of force and tr the training aspect of it and defensive tactics and the proficiency and the physical fitness side of that was huge for me during my career. Mm -hmm. 
So I pitched the project to John. I could think of no one better to basically have traveled the country with me to mm -hmm. meet and, and interact with people like him from other states, other jurisdictions, other, other cities, mm -hmm. uh, martial artists who were dedicated during their careers, but were also police trainers. So that's how that film uh, got off the ground in early 2021. Gotcha, gotcha. And you guys cover a lot of topics. I don't want to give away too many, too many of the gems because I, I know that you still, Pete. You got to watch the film, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. You got to watch it. This great film is very informative. But what are some of the highlights that you can share with us? Well, when I talk about wrist lock, it's obvious a, a police training film. Now, people are, they'll kind of get surprised when I'll tell them that the target audience really wasn't cops. Now, certainly, any police officer at any juncture of their career, whether they're brand new or they're a veteran cop, or maybe they're not even a cop yet and they're thinking about joining the profession, you're going to benefit from seeing a film that breaks down police training and police use of force the way we do. However, we wanted this pointed more at a mainstream audience. Why? Because as we know, when the news plays a few seconds of video, suddenly you're going to have both sides are going to start to uh, fire their opinions, but their opinions are based on what? really nothing of substance, just their emotional reaction to what they saw. And that's a big problem because then that becomes a perception about law enforcement that's simply not true. But I always tell people who are not cops, if you watch this film, what you will learn and gain from it are the answers to a lot of the questions you have. If you see a police officer doing something that you think is inappropriate in a critical incident or use of force situation, then you're going to learn about things like defensive tactics, proficiency, and the lack of it in this country, in every mm -hmm. police agency. You're going to learn about the lack of physical fitness and how that mm -hmm. plays into every use of force situation. And mm -hmm. perhaps most importantly, you're going to learn about mental health and the issues surrounding use of force decision making. If you ever wonder why some cops may overreact or underreact, I mm -hmm. think the first place you look is their mental health. Hmm. Absolutely. That's a hot topic. And that's a buzzword here in the world. And we talk about that uh, often here uh, on this platform as well. Um, wh what kind of problems or solutions do you think that we as first responders can do to help alleviate, to work on our mental health and actually be better individual people, better officers uh, and better members of society working with mental, working on our mental health? Well, you know, I don't really want to give away a lot of the themes of this new film that's coming out at the end of the year, but we'll certainly talk about it. It's called, Is There gotcha. Something Going On at Home? And I mm -hmm. already, uh, you know, one of the stories in it, it covers uh, the Ortiz family, Deborah and Michael, uh, and, and what happened to them after Michael retired as mm -hmm. a 15 year undercover uh, DEA task force agent in New York City. Mm -hmm. uh, needless to say, they had a lot of family issues. Mm -hmm. In the film, we bring in Dr. Olivia Johnson, and, and she is one to answer the question you just asked that I wholeheartedly agree with, and uh -huh. that is inoculation, and that is what she really pushes. She talks about a health versus a disease model. The disease, mm -hmm. the disease side of that model is what? You get sick, then we treat it. The health side of it is, how about you don't get sick in the first place, and we prevent it, right? Oh, wow. That's inoculation. Uh -huh. So what she talks about when it comes to relationships, retirement, and the entire mental health spectrum, she is a police suicidologist. This is what mm -hmm. she does. 
This is what she studied. Mm -hmm. She talks about inoculation. In other words, we need to get these officers, maybe even before they hire on, but at the latest in the police academy and essentially mm -hmm. warn them about what's to come and how to deal with it when it does. Right. So none of us are immune to these issues. Right, right. Uh, the, is there an expected release date for um, the wounded? I'm sorry, for um, the, I'm sorry, which, which film was that? That is. Oh, is there something going on at home? We'll be releasing a trailer uh, this upcoming Monday. Okay. And we're expecting it to be released probably sometime in December. Okay, good. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to that. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, make sure you guys check that out. I know um, another one of you, I want to say the Wounded Blue, it, it, that one struck, that one resonated with me as well. Uh, not to give too much away on that, as, but it it, it kind of said, it gives you thinking on, outside the box on life after injury or what to expect or what not to expect. Uh, the, the mindset that you should be prepared for, like you said, coming out of the academy or things like that. Uh, if something bad does happen to you while working, what sort of things should you expect um, if, if it does and where to go if you, things don't fall into place and you're not prepared? I think that one that one was a, an emotional film. That one hit the nail on the head very hard. I think that's a must-see for any uh, first responder or law enforcement officer, especially those who don't expect to get injured in the line of duty. But if it does happen, uh, to actually have a, a, a roadmap of what some of the possibilities or what aren't the possibilities that could happen in that. That's kind of, keeping the surface level. I don't want to dig too. I don't want to give your films away too much, but they're they're very good. They're very good. That one resonated with me very well. Is there anything that you can share with us on that one? Well, I'll tell you, uh, after I had completed my first film, The Basketball Family, um, mm -hmm. a, a former colleague of mine who had also retired, Lieutenant Randy Sutton, uh, him and I, our careers paralleled for about two decades. And so he had heard that I had just completed my first film. And alongside that, he was getting ready to create an organization to help injured and disabled police officers. Mm -hmm. So he asked me, would you be interested in doing a documentary about the organization? And the idea that we came up with was to create a film that tells the six stories that inspired Randy Sutton to create the organization, the Wounded Blue. And so that is that is uh, what we ended up doing. It's anchored by the Anne Marie Carrizales story, who is a Houston suburb police officer who was shot in the face and in the chest. And, uh, you know, using, using her, uh, her, her Marine Corps prowess after taking those bullets, got right in the patrol car and, and, and chased the suspects for about 20 yeah. minutes until they were ultimately found. Uh, tough woman, but as she will tell you, and this is uh, uh, echoed by many who have been in officer-involved shootings uh, and, yeah. and shot in the line of duty, unfortunately, they will say if they had died, they would have been a lot better off because their families would have been taken care of. But wow. injured and disabled cops, unlike what most of the public thinks, are not taken care of in this country. They're just simply not. The workers' comp system, which is different state by state, is an absolute mess. If you are injured in the line of duty, you are looking at a minimum of a 50% reduction in pay that day and as high as 75% to the point where Charles Neal, who's another segment in our in our film, The Wounded Blue, will tell you he didn't know how he was gonna put food on the table for uh, his wife and two boys. That's mm -hmm. how bad it gets. 
So that is what the organization, the Wounded Blue, does to this day and, and is growing uh, every minute and, and becoming a very premier organization mm -hmm. to help uh, injured and disabled cops. The work Randy and his people do on a daily basis is amazing. And what we try to do in the film is capture that. Right. I think you captured it very well. Uh, it, it's very well told. It's very emotional. It's very real life. Certain things that, I, I, at least me personally, I, I would not have think would happen in situations like that. If someone's watching right now or watching the replay and they've been involved in some sort of traumatic uh, incident while working as a first responder and things aren't going the direction that they believe they should or or they're getting uh, kind of swept, um, swept under the rug, uh, what would you, what kind of suggestion would you give to them to find a remedy for the solution or where could they go to ask their questions? Well, I mean, you know, you could go to the woundedblue.org to start and, and uh, Randy will connect you with one of his uh, peer support team members and, and mm -hmm. you can go there. They have uh, numerous resources uh, available for treatment, for peer support, uh, for financial assistance and, and uh, an entire list of things that they do on a daily mm -hmm. basis. Now, there are a number of other organizations as well. I think it really kind of depends on where that person is at. Uh, mm -hmm. But who is a national organization is certainly somebody that they can contact. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you for sharing. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're going to pause for the call. Sergeant Be Safe has something to say, and we're going to jump right back into it because I want to talk about Repeat Offender. That's the second documentary that I watched. Stand by. Sergeant Be Safe says, this Thanksgiving, if you decide to have a drink, You can catch a ride, or you can catch this ride. And that's your tip of the day to get you on your way. Make sure you have a safe and happy Thanksgiving. And there you have it. That's starting to be safe in this campaign, making sure you don't drink and drive, find other remedies. Whether it's car uh, ride sharing, carpooling, designated driver, or staying at a hotel, so many different things. We'll talk about that. You see that all over the page. Uh, that's the campaign for the month of November because, uh, believe it or not, the Thanksgiving holiday is one of the most uh, alcohol-related, crime-induced months of the year. It's more so than it is Christmas, more so than St. Patrick's Day because it's more like a week-long party engagement. But we're going to jump right back here. We got Jason Harney right here. I'm happy to have him on the show. And the second documentary that I saw was Repeat Offender. And I couldn't take my – I had I, I was on my way to work, and I had to stop and pause and come back and finish watching it the next day. Uh, I, I didn't want to take my eyes off of it because this, information, this, this story was riveting. This story was amazing on how it unfolded, how uh, uh, the device – uh, the, the individual use how much uh, items they that individual had stolen uh, the amount the massive plot that the individual had how did you come across this story well uh, yet again like Rislock and the wounded blue uh, detective Brad Nickel is a retired veteran of the Las Vegas Metro Police Department and uh -huh. he actually wrote a book about that case also titled repeat offender it was a best-selling gotcha. true crime book and uh, he, I believe he wrote that around 2015. And of okay. course, I knew Brad, I purchased the book and read it. And after uh, I had completed The Wounded Blue, again, looking for a new project and, and mm -hmm. certainly interested in doing a true crime documentary. 
And, and so I pitched him on adapting the book and that's exactly what we did. And, and it was released in uh, mid 2019. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's how it kind of came about. You know, I've been really fortunate when you have a 24 uh, year career in Las Vegas, <laughs> there's a lot to mine, I, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of incidents. Uh, what kind of highlights can you share about that documentary itself um, based on the book itself or just from your, your studying of how to put it together or the story without giving too much away? Well, crazy case, right? I, yeah, I mean, it you know, it, it's not, it, I guess, you know, we, we should say we're fortunate that not a drop of blood was shed, but mm. we, you know, all of us in, in the uh, law enforcement profession know one thing. What is the one crime that your average dis- district attorney simply won't prosecute? Property crimes, right? Mm. So uh-huh. here you've got this guy who is a literally a serial commercial burglar and had amassed a fortune of millions of dollars in cash yeah. and stolen property. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it just goes to show that no traffic stop is routine, right? Because as you recall, it was a simple patrol traffic stop where the officers saw what they thought was stolen property, knew an alarm had just gone off at an antique shop around the corner, put two and two together, and now they're arrested for possession of stolen property. Well, unfortunately, and I'm sure that Las Vegas is no different than where you're from in Pennsylvania and and everybody else who's listening, uh, Mm -hmm. most district attorneys are going to look at that and it's going to be dropped to like an attempt petty larceny if they prosecute it at all. And then the person gets off scot-free. Well, that's what happened to Damon Monroe many times. But Brad Nickel uh, worked for a unit here called the Repeat Offender Program, which we call yeah. And they're, they just chase career criminals. They literally would do surveillances on people who were being uh, released from the Clark County Detention Center, knowing mm-hmm. that probably within 10 minutes, they're going to go commit another crime, right? Wow. Yeah. So Damon Monroe arrived on Brad's desk as already a 19-time ex-felon. By the time he was done with the case, he was a 54-time ex-felon, and he is in prison for life. He will never mm-hmm. get out. But yeah, really a crazy case that kind of morphed once they did the search warrant and discovered this treasure trove of uh, stolen property. I want to say Brad's quote right. in the film, he refers to it as thinking he was walking into Aladdin's cave. So, you know, all the jewels and the, the expensive antiques and the sign uh-huh. work and the electronics, all stolen. So... Mm-hmm. You know, they, these guys have bank accounts. They were well organized, and this was mm-hmm. a crew that ran Vegas for years before they were ultimately caught. But the big twist, as you know, of course, is that uh, this guy's in jail, knows he's been had, and then hatches the plan that he's going to hire uh, the Serenios to kill Detective Brad Nickel, the district mm-hmm. attorney uh, Sandra DiGiacomo, and the judge Michelle Levitt. Um, so on top of all the property crimes, he also was convicted of soliciting murder. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a really interesting story. It, it, it's not one that is of violence, but it's one of those things that was caught fortunately ahead of time. But I think mm-hmm. you know one of the big takeaways is ultimately the property crime issue and how violated people feel when yeah. somebody has broken into their residence or their business and stolen things from them. Yeah, exactly. I know some of the interviews that were on the that you of the of the victims involved. Um, some of them were very emotional. Some of them were excited to get their property back. Others had uh, property that uh, they that were just heirlooms 
um, that couldn't be replaced and no one would have even known about. I remember hearing about that uh, and just the violation that they had with uh, having their property stolen and, and at the end having the amount of property that was returned and the amount of different victims it was just astonishing from just uh that individual that that person who was going out having a field day it certainly was and, and as the, uh, brad nickel will tell you it stands even today as the largest stolen property recovery in las vegas history wow wow man so the, uh, the other documentary, you have the six-part docuseries. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Well, that was basically a follow-up to The Wounded Blue. You know, okay. obviously when, when I had the opportunity to uh, travel around and, and, and meet with these officers who were injured and disabled with Randy Sutton, uh, mm -hmm. we suddenly found that there were a whole lot more of them, which you would expect. This is why, you know, he created a national organization in the first place. These are numbers mm -hmm. that tens of thousands of issues, not just a few unique cases. So we did a six part series that essentially follows up with another set of stories. And all six of those are on uh, the Wounded Blue TV YouTube channel. And mm -hmm. you can watch those for free on YouTube. Okay, perfect. And that was going to lead into my next question. If anyone wanted to watch uh, any of your documentaries, how could they do so? Is there one specific platform that you use or are they spread out on various platforms? Uh, spread out pretty good. I mean, Wristlock is, is available all over the world, including mm -hmm. in Europe, Asia, Latin America, etc. So, yeah, I mean, you've got the, the standard transactional platforms where you can rent or purchase. So you have Amazon, Apple TV, mm -hmm. Google Play, Microsoft Store, Voodoo, uh, Fandango, th those types of platforms. And then you have the ad-based platforms. I'd say the most popular are Tubi and Plex. Gotcha. So gotcha. You, can, you can watch... Uh, Wrist lock and repeat offender on on all of those. Uh, currently, mm -hmm. Blue is is only available on those transactional platforms, mm -hmm. and we should have. Uh, is there something going on at home available in December on uh, the ad based platforms? Perfect, perfect. Can't wait to check that one out. So when that one hits, trust me, I'll be I'll be engaged in that as well. <laughs> it is a. Uh, I mean, I, I'm I'm really proud of it. Uh, you know, the, the story behind is there's something going on at home uh, was really uh, near and dear to me. When mm -hmm. I was doing the research for the Wounded Blue, you know, after that point, we talked about where Randy Sutton says, hey, can we make a documentary film about my organization? Mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to find out first and foremost if any films had been made previously about that topic of PTSD and suicide and mental health. That led me to one film, believe it or not, Code 9, Officer Needs Assistance, which was mm -hmm. produced and directed by Deborah Louise Ortiz. Mm -hmm. And we have become really good friends since then on a filmmaking level with this idea that someday we would get to work together. Well, uh -huh. I took the directing duties for this film. She is the producer and it tells her story, which really... It, it, it's an amazing story because if you know her, you'll wonder why she's so dedicated to the cause you had to figure there was something and finally we get to tell her story so it, yeah I'm, I'm really i'm all of these films are very special to me because i feel like they they bring forth like you said a lot of really good information that needs to be out there for our men and women in blue but also for the public to understand the job a little bit better mm -hmm. but this one goes into the home this is talking about family issues. 
And aside from the uh, story of Michael and Deborah Ortiz, the second story in the film, another person you're familiar with, Scott Medlin and his wife, Rachel. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's another story that is, that is extremely powerful because mm -hmm. a lot of people, I think, are going to have a lot of great conversation and ask a lot of questions when they see what these two couples went through, but more importantly, where they are today. You know, the kind of the hashtag of the film is family first, but that gives you a hint. The idea is, can we find a way to stay together and work through these problems? Good point. Good point. I know uh, I remember going to the academy and, and one of the instructors said, you know, um, the spouse that you have right now, if you guys are married, is usually not going to be the spouse that you have at the end of this career. And for whatever reason, you go through whatever transitions throughout the course of the, this job does, you know, you know it as well. This job tears you up one way or another, or it tears the family up, or there's something you, you give so much. So to actually hear about family first and the trials and tribulations of other individual first responders and that be put on film is something great. Because I know sometimes we feel like we suffer in silence, but to know that someone else is going through a situation, we can actually view how they handled this, our situation, view how they handled a situation that's similar to us, how they did it and how they got through it and how they beca it, it became uh, a little bit more understandable on the other end. Absolutely. I mean, and that's a great point. And I, that is why we made this film. We wanted to give the families a voice because mm -hmm. typically, and, and certainly I'm as guilty as anybody, when, when you're making a film, uh, a documentary that's going to be on about a police related topic, of course, mm -hmm. we're going to want to hear from the first responder. We're going to want to hear from the detective Brad Nickel, who, who caught mm -hmm. the career criminal and put him away for life. We're going to want to hear from John Gentile, who has been in this arena and, and has taught martial arts for over 40 years, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but we, we always forget about the spouses, the mm -hmm. children, the significant others, and everybody that surrounds them at home and how important that really is. And, and yeah. Deborah and, and Scott and Rachel and Michael in the film and Dr. Olivia Johnson and Glenn Williams, they are all really big on that. And I was really thrilled to get all of them together uh to make this film because it, it was a it was a long pre-production process to make that happen good good i can't wait to dive into it like you said later on this year so looking forward to that uh here we go kudos to you such an important topic yeah we we that's a topic that's discussed um in, in um, private capacities and uh, uh backstages or whatever uh so many different things it, it, i know significant others always say that they don't have a voice in the first responder world unless they're first responders themselves so to actually give them a platform uh is very is something that's very important and, and you know Cleve, that that really is always my goal you know i tell people I, i'm not here i don't have any you know delusions of, of becoming famous or anything like that you know i mean I, I know that a lot of people might dismiss someone like me as just the typical hollywood I'm telling you, I am here to elevate others. I want to give them that platform that I can provide through through these films, just mm -hmm. in the same way that you are doing right now and, and, and doing it through your platform. It's just mm -hmm. a different way of, of creating media and putting it out there in a manner that represents us. Yeah. And that's what's important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, don't sell yourself short. I think you're on your way to becoming a big time in 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 in, in a very famous individual trust me uh i'm starstruck like i said um that ernie stevens did the intro and you're doing tremendous work 
and doing uh, important work. So I appreciate it. I appreciate it. What on the horizon? What are there any projects that you're looking forward to working on, or what are some of your three to five year goals? If you could share any of that with us. Well, I mean, I can give you an immediate one. It's already uh, already been shot, but I'm currently in post production on uh, what will be my next film that'll be due out sometime in 2024. Mm -hmm. uh, it's about Vinny Montez, and if you're not familiar with him, he is a current uh, 20, I believe, 28 year Boulder County Sheriff's Office commander, but he's also one of the top rising comedians in this country. Nice. Uh, very much in demand. If you haven't seen Vinny Montez, you can go on YouTube, do, do a search, and take a look at some of his stand-up. It's hilarious. Mm -hmm. It's obviously built off of material, mostly from the job, as you can imagine. Uh -huh. A lot of funny things that we end up seeing during our careers. You know, a lot of interesting people that we come into contact mm -hmm. with, and he takes full advantage of that on mm -hmm. stage. So I'm essentially doing a film that is going to chronicle his rise as a police officer and then why he became a stand-up comedian, which uh, you'll probably not be surprised. It's about midway through his career. Uh, he was having some issues with mental health based on some calls and, and, and some critical incidents that he was involved in. And it started to take their toll at about that 15-year mark. So this became his outlet. He, he became a stand-up comedian and he's hilarious. And uh, I'm just hoping that I can do his, basically his life story justice. So that's in the short term. Uh, we can expect that again sometime next year. Mm -hmm. Long term, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what. And I was just having this conversation the other day with, with uh, a couple other people and another filmmaking friend of mine, Conrad Weaver, who just released mm -hmm. a really good documentary about first responder PTSD called PTSD 911. Definitely check okay. that out. Um, he and I were talking about the same thing and asked me, well, what do you want to do beyond the documentaries? I have always been really impressed by the fact that Oliver Stone, who's the director of Platoon, served in Vietnam in uh, 1967, 68, I believe. He did a tour over there and then made his film in 1986, Platoon, of course, it wins Best Picture. But beyond the accolades, what was really impressive to me was the fact that you, you had a lot of Vietnam veterans come forward and say, that nailed it. I, I could almost smell it again. This is wow. what it's really like in, mm -hmm. in the, you know, deployed over there. And so for me, moving away from the documentaries into narrative features is always the long-term goal. And I would love nothing more than to do essentially the same thing, to make a cop film. It's not glamorous like Heat, the Pacino De Niro film that everybody loves. I love it too, don't get me wrong, it's entertaining. But I mean, something along the lines of the platoon that shows what it's really like, both in the squad car, in the briefing room, and at home. Wow. So that's what I'd love to do, because I, I feel mm -hmm. like when, when you're in this business, you're you're looking to do things that have not been done before. This mm -hmm. is why I wrist lock because there's no film like it it's one of a kind yes uh, it is you know the family thing nobody's given a voice to the families before and done an entire film about that most yeah. of the i know would think that uh that wouldn't sell we'll see but i i, I feel like it's a very important topic but yeah. to do something with actors that actually shows what we go through and and then have the majority of cops, I know we can't agree on anything, but come back and actually say, wow, that really nailed it. 
there's my long-term goal. Gotcha. Gotcha. Looking forward to that. I think that'd be uh, a big hit and uh, much needed. Uh, I, I don't think there's anything like you said that it, uh, you can 100% relate to saying that's exactly what we do. You know, uh, the news media has us portrayed one way. Uh, movies in the past have us portrayed a totally different way as well. And sometimes we're glamorized. Sometimes we're made to look like uh, we're the butt of all the jokes or demonized or whatever. Uh, so many times in this career, we have extreme boredom. Sometimes we have some extreme sarcasm. And then sometimes we have that adrenaline rush that happens at a moment's notice that you don't plan for. And you have to be able to adjust and live through it. Uh, and and that becomes a way of life. And once you do it so, so much, it's kind of hard to explain to someone who doesn't live that life at all. Exactly. And, and probably no different than, you know, a Vietnam veteran back in the 1970s and 80s when they were, you know, 70s when they were coming home, but then explaining to their loved ones and kids a decade later that this is what it was like. But then that film comes out and, and you know, there was a whole slew of other Vietnam uh, related films that came out after, but Platoon was the one that really nailed it. And, and you know, being the you know, self-admitted cinephile that I am, I cannot think of a film that I could honestly say ha has really presented what we do in a realistic manner. It's always hyper-stylized or glamorized in a manner that's just not accurate. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, well put. And so therefore, you're saying get cops uh, back together to come kind of agree, agree to disagree or work. So let me ask you a kind of uh, a, a national or world question uh, with law enforcement and first responders itself on recruitment and, and retention. Uh, I know that's a big deal. It's been a big deal since uh, COVID continuously now where we have sign-on bonuses, where we got people quiet quitting, uh, got those who are uh, jumping from job to job, got those seasoned vets that are retiring early, got those rookies coming out of high school, uh, college, or the military and not 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 really wanting to get into the job of being a first responder. What would you say, what, what kind of solutions or remedies do you think can ha have an impact on recruitment or retention in the current atmosphere today? Well, that's, that's a tough one, Clee. I, I mean, <laughs> when, when, you, when you talk about what, what a good plan would be, I, I think regionally plans are always going to be different because it depends on who, you're, who the population is you're attempting to hire from is going to be a mm -hmm. big deal and what their perceptions are about police. I actually, from uh, 2007 through th 2009, uh, headed up our recruitment team at, at okay. Metro. So I can tell mm -hmm. you that even then, for us to get an academy of, say, 75 people, we would need 10,000 people to walk through the door. Why is that? Because that gets whittled down through your psychological testing, your physical testing, your written test, but 80% in background. And I know a lot of the standards have been waxed, and that's one of the things that scares me the most. Yeah. Uh, I had commented on, on LinkedIn a few months back when I had read an article about the uh, head of training for NYPD was going to get rid of the mile and a half run because she thinks that, well, you know, cops don't chase anybody for a mile and a half. And I, I commented and said, okay, the, the reason why we do a 1.5 mile run has nothing to do with the job. You are demonstrating your cardiovascular fitness, which is hugely important because if you are already an unhealthy person, metabolically speaking, 
imagine what 10 years of this job is going to do to you. Oh, man. So that's why you do the test. It has nothing to do with, I'm going to jump out of my car and chase somebody, you know? So when you've got opinions like that free flowing, it makes the whole recruitment thing really difficult. But I can say, mm -hmm. I think we can both come up with countless examples. Uh, we do not want to lessen standards. I think mm -hmm. the most important thing is, I, you know, a lot of people I talk to always say police in general need a, a really good PR person. Somebody mm -hmm. that can sell the job and change the perceptions so that, you know, that, that stink that the media keeps putting on our profession, you yeah. know, it, it is just simply not true. It's not backed up by fact but you're dealing with people who don't listen to facts. So it makes it a lot more difficult uh, for recruiting. I can't imagine what that would be like today to be a recruiter in, in modern law enforcement. Yeah, I know it's a headache for those that are out there. And I know you said something uh, very uh, uh, resonating. Again, for law enforcement or first responders that have something, uh, someone as PR, I think that's exactly what you're doing by putting these stories out here, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent, they're the truth. Uh, putting the truth out there is always going to have positive results. Again, I know our goal is to, to shed light on what law enforcement and first responders do and humanize the badge and to answer those questions that come in left and right. So therefore, I, I think you're, you're doing a tremendous job getting that information out there. And even if it just touches one person's ear and gets them to, to say, to put their hand down and say, you know what, I need to go ahead and serve my community and, and be the best uh, first responder that I can be. Then I think you, you've done a, a heck of a job um, in, in just making the documentaries itself. Well, that's certainly the goal. And, and if you think about it, you know, you've got guys like yourself and, and, and a lot of other podcasters who are using that phrase, humanize the badge and that's so important because we we have to we have to get the general population to understand that we're not these robotic people that go to a, a militaristic police academy and only answer the orders of our superiors and don't make our own decisions and, and are not yeah. human just like them or to mm -hmm. take it to another level that when we're done that badge and gun and uniform come off and are left in a locker and we go home and we've got you know, wife or husband or significant other and kids and yes. the same things you're dealing with, we are dealing with too. It's very human. So you have mm -hmm. people, you know, like Vinny Montez, the comedian who always speaks of humanizing the badge. You have Ernie Stevens and Joe Samaro who, who were the main subjects of an incredible film, uh, mm -hmm. Ernie Joe Crisis Cops, that if you took the time to watch a film like that, what do you see? You, you see two very human individuals dealing with people who are in crisis, and that's incredibly important for the public to look at. Or the written word, you've had Donna Brown on this show before. She's written three books that highlight individuals who spent their time as police officers, but she really focuses on what is happening at home, what they're doing in retirement to show. Yeah. These are just people that yes. are calling. And, and nothing more, you know? Uh, if there's anything special about us, that's what it is. We had a calling. I don't believe everybody can be a cop, but those who are, it doesn't take away the human aspects of who we are. Well, well put. Couldn't have said it better myself, absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're gonna pause for the calls. Sergeant Be Safe is gonna entertain us and we're gonna jump right back into it, stand by.
This holiday season is when DUIs and alcohol-related crimes are at their highest. But you can still have fun and be very safe this holiday season. So please, be responsible. Let's go see if Treacherous Tony is going to make good decisions. Thanksgiving. Ah, this is going to be fun. Ladies, how are you doing today? I have one too many. I don't feel so good. I got to get out of here. So Tony thinks he's going to leave and drive away. Little does he know I'm on patrol nearby. Oh, man. Tony, you can barely walk. Look, you can either catch a ride or you can catch this ride. Hey, bro. I need a ride. Ride sharing, carpooling, or designated driver? Looks like he made the right decision. Sergeant B Safe wants you to have a safe and happy holiday. So remember, that's your tip of the day to get you on your way. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. We're having a lot of fun. We've got Jason Harney here. We talked about his documentaries. We talked about uh, backgrounds on humanizing the badge, uh, backgrounds on first responders and, and situations they may go through, whether they're positive, neutral, or negative. Uh, talked about uh, a little bit of history on his uh, law enforcement career uh, and what got him into the filmmaking industry itself, uh, making documentaries. And, and not only that, he's got a huge hand in it, being a producer, director, writer, editor. That's a lot. That's a big that's a lot of uh, uh, jobs to put on one plate for one individual to do. I appreciate you coming on here, Jason. Um, but before we go, before we transition, we asked a lot of questions. I may have forgot to ask a question or I may have jogged your memory on something that you wanted to touch on. Is there anything else that you wanted to discuss with us right now? The floor is yours. Well, you know, I just want to thank you for uh, having me on on your show, Clee. Uh, it's always a pleasure, and and uh, you know, and even furthermore, the fact that you took the time to to watch those three films and, and have some really good questions tonight. Uh, I think these issues are extremely important, as you know. And you know, again, that that is always my goal is to. Uh, cover the issues, the critical issues that are important to law enforcement that our mainstream media simply overlooks or glosses over or forgets altogether. And supporting these films supports, you know, that idea. And that's what's really important because otherwise the word never gets out and those perceptions mm -hmm. remain and people will really never have a clear understanding of what police officers go through on a day-to-day -day basis during their careers, uh, what kind of training it actually takes and what level it takes to get a police officer to be able to have successful outcomes and use of force situations, the physical fitness issue, the mental health issue. These are the types of, of you know, topics that get me really motivated. And I love to talk about them. And there certainly is, is no better way than to put it on film. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, make sure you, you see the website scrolling below. 
Uh, the documentaries are very moving. They're, they're, they're very powerful. They are entertaining and educational as well. Like I said, I've seen three of them. I plan to watch the rest of them, especially um, the, uh, is there some, I keep messing up the title. I'm sorry. Is there is something there going, going, on? going on at home? Yes. There you go. You know, there you go. You know where that comes from? I, I was a supervisor for 13 years uh, as a sergeant at Las Vegas Metro. And mm -hmm. let's say you had a troop on your squad who was, was, an excellent performer and, and did his or her job to standard every day. It's what you expected. But then suddenly after a week or two, you see this obvious dip in performance and they're just mm -hmm. not themselves. Mm -hmm. And what we would typically do after that, when it's obvious, you know, that obvious that there might be an issue, we would bring them into a private room, sit them down. And that's the first question that would be asked. Is there something going on at home? Makes perfect. And, you know, as uh, Dr. Olivia Johnson says in the film, there's a lot of stuff going on at home, as we know, and it directly affects everybody's performance at work, regardless of what, you know, profession you're in. But yeah, at least there's a lot on the line, as we know, and, and you've got to be on your game. You can, can't afford not to. And if you just mm -hmm. had a, a terrible argument, the kind where someone's going to leave someone type of argument, and now I've got to go to work and get in a police car, and deal with the things we see and do. Mm -hmm. You talk about a, a cocktail for disaster. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Firsthand knowledge. I know um, when I was going originally when I was going through uh, the separation. This is years ago. This is maybe six, seven years ago. Uh, the initial shock of it. Uh, no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't sleep at night on my days off, um, and so therefore I, I'd be up all day, up all night, get a, a little bit amount of sleep. I'd be uh, an emotional wreck. I'd be uh, sometimes here, sometimes there, I'd be foggy brained, uh, how, for lack of a better term, but still had to go to work and still expected to perform. And so uh, work is one thing you try and uh, put that compartmentalize that. Then you have home life as well. And then when the two bleed together and they mesh together, it's just a catastrophe. I'm glad nothing serious happened, at least in my situation. But I know others, there have been uh, some dramatic situations that have gone on, whether it's self-inflicted on um, the individual officer or bleeding over into the family or just with the public or, or your coworkers as well. So many different aspects on things that can be touched just on situations that go on at home. I know firsthand. No question. And it's a huge issue. And I think that everybody can relate to that, but yeah, yeah that's, where, that's where the title came from. That was the first thought, you know, I mean, myself and I'm sure everybody super, every supervisor uh, in, in, in law enforcement in this country has probably used a similar phrase at some yep. point when they have somebody that is uh you know, clearly needs some some level of assistance or help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good title, good good choice. Now it makes sense. It resonates with me. Therefore, <laughs> hey, Jason, I appreciate you coming on the show again, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure you guys check out his documentaries. Check him out. He's doing tremendous work in this field. Uh, I I know I'm going I'm going to. I'm a huge fan already. Like I said, I'm starstruck just to have you here. Um, thank you. I find not robbery that thank you that you blessed the platform with this great information. Thank you, Clay.
Yep, absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is Black and Blue. This is the podcast where we go live at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time weekly. And we're kicked off the month of November with a blast. And we're going to continue to do so all the way up until the end of the year. So make sure you guys tune in. We got a special guest coming on the show next week. I'm not going to say who they are because I got to keep you on the edge of your seat. But therefore, I'm your host. I'm Coach Clee. I'm your motivational speaker, your empowerment coach, your author, and your favorite baker's favorite baker, bringing this information to you on this platform. So make sure you guys tag, like, and share. Tell your friends. And we're going to keep this train going because we're building the airplane as we fly it. And we're having a lot of fun doing it. Thank you guys for tuning in. We're going to continue to keep moving on. Be safe. 10-4 over and out. Thanksgiving should be a safe and happy holiday. It's a time where most friends and family can get together. It's also a holiday where most crimes involving alcohol take place. Sergeant B-Safe is absolutely right. I'm just gonna stay here and get big. Hello, Mario. What's going on? Captain Chaos and I will be right there. Yeah, I'm loving this. I need another one, Mario. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm out of here. Sergeant Perasefa, I need your head now. This is the worst holiday ever. Come on, Rob, you blind. We'll take my car. You're swerving all over the roadway, fool. Look out! Ooh. Run, you fool. I'm so dizzy. I can't run straight. I was working out today. I'm up for a good chase. You guys won't get away. Stop before things get worse. You can't catch me. Ugh. Gotcha. Put him up. Disorderly conduct, public drunkenness, and DUI. You guys just ruined your holiday. While you're sitting in jail, you guys can figure out how you're going to pay for the damages. Remember, folks, you can always get a designated driver, ride sharing, public transportation, or even carpool so you can have a safe holiday. And that's your tip of the day to get you on your way.